All right, you guys, you guys ready? No, 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 no. Are you guys ready? Okay, because listen, man, this is the second service of the day, and you guys got to be the powerhouse group. We got, we got to have some energy. We got to have some motivation in here. We got to make Dan proud, right? All right, so speaking of Dan, I'm going to share some stuff about him. He opened the door, so I'm going to bring it in and let you guys know what happened in Vegas, okay? Because I can guarantee you what happens in Vegas never stays in Vegas. Uh, but first, I want to introduce my family. Um, my amazing wife, Tina, is here with me today, and she's so good looking. Um, like God is so good. Can I get an amen on that? Like, man, there's some of y'all in here right now should be amening, because I can see the ladies with you, and you didn't get that on your own. Um, but the thing of it is, man, like, God is so good. I have seven amazing kids. I've got six daughters, one son, and I've got a bulldog because we had to have some extra testosterone just to balance things out in the house. And God has blessed us, man. We're, we planted a church nine years ago. It just blew up. God has been doing amazing things. And that <clears throat> kind of brings me to how, how we met Dan in Carolina. Um, we were at a, at a conference going to with a couple preachers. And I, I was, man, we were in a church planting and we were trying to build, and there was this thousand-year flood that hit Myrtle Beach in our area, and everything was flooded. Construction was in the, up in the air. While we're at the conference, we're hearing that our house may be in flood. It may be getting flooded. And it was just one of those things where it was like, man, I don't even know if I want to be here. I don't even know if I want to go to these things. And all the preachers that were there are talking about stuff they need help with and what they're working through. And it was like, yeah, we, you know, we got a building, but we need to update some stuff and we need more staff. And I'm sitting here like, we don't have a building and we ain't got no staff. Like y'all got, y'all got problems I'd love to have. And as we were talking, like watching these guys, I just saw Dan and Dan was just this genuine, loving just chilled guy, and the only guy in the room I was looking at that I wasn't sitting there thinking needed therapy, <laughs> and, and Dan just, him and Carolina just reached out to us and wrapped us up and encouraged us and have never let go of us, and so all the way on the other coast, on the other side of this country is a church that's been blessed by your church and by your pastor and his wife, and that's a direct reflection of you guys, so I have to say thank you so much because y'all don't know how much of a blessing you are. Now that I've got all the good out of the way, let me tell you about Dan and these trips, okay? So we went to Florida, and when we were in Florida, I guess you guys don't have alligators over here, but we don't have moose over there. So our horses don't have horns. Um, but we have alligators, which is kind of like dinosaurs. And so while we're on the, on the East Coast, Dan and them's like, let's go on an alligator tour. And I'm like, that's, that's called golfing in Myrtle Beach. <laughs> and so we go get on this boat and we ride through these swamps and we didn't see any alligators. They were just swamp chickens the whole time. And so that's like the greatest story ever is we go on this alligator adventure with no alligators. But that's not the best story. The good story is in Vegas. In Vegas, I found out all right, so Dan's not here right now, right? Good. I found out in Vegas, y'all's pastor, y'all's grown pastor, grown man pastor, wears pajamas. <laughs> like, I got to correct this because he told me, he told me yesterday, he's like, man, I don't wear pajamas, right? Which didn't do anything to help me because I found a picture of what I think your pastor does wear, if we can put that up. Like, <laughs> there he is right there, Dan, Dan the Spider-Man, and the reason I know this is because while we're in Vegas, Dan was picking on me. Your pastor, your godly man was picking on me. 
all right? And I was in a vulnerable state. I've n- I'd never been on the East Coast or the West Coast before, and I'd never been to Vegas before, and I was kind of petrified because Vegas is Vegas, and you know what happens in Vegas, and we're at a preacher's conference, and I don't know if these guys are all going to open up and be immoral guys, and they're all just going to be... The only thing with Vegas I've ever seen CSI and old Elvis movies, you know? And I'm expecting we're all going to die. And while we're there the craziest thing happens. So in the middle of the night, I, I just want to share with you. You know why your pastor, how I know he wears that? Because he was picking on me because he asked me what I sleep in. And as a man, as a grown man, as a man married to a beautiful woman, I sleep as God intended for us to sleep. <laughs> now, for, don't, 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 don't get scared. But I mean, the truth is, go back to Genesis chapter two and how did God make people? And they were cool. People that are walking in step with God are naked and okay with it. It's only people that have given in to sin that are filled with shame and have to go cover themselves, okay? I mean, and, and wherever me and my wife are staying, that's our garden, okay? That's Eden. It's us and the Lord, and we're cool. And so Dan was giving me a hard time. He's like, you sleep naked? I'm like, I sleep naked. He's like, you sleep naked? I'm like, naked is naked. Naked? That's a good time. But, see, Naked's just your clothes are off. There's a lady over here. Naked's when your clothes are off. Naked is when your clothes are off and you're with your spouse and something. Okay. Anyways, so I'm sitting here and I'm with my wife. They're like, he's never coming back. But we're with my wife. It's the middle of the night. We've gone in. It's been a long day. We're tired. We fall asleep. And you know that sweet sleep space where you're just laying there and you're kind of like in that point of not here, but here, and you can hear stuff, but you're not processing it. And I hear this man's voice, and I'm, you know, I'm kind of just tuning it out. And out of nowhere, I feel this strong slap hit me in my chest. And I'm now, when you wake up, guys, when you wake up, you're kind of like certifiably nuts, right? You're not thinking clear. And I hear my wife, she goes, Matt. And I'm like, what? And she's like, there's a man in our room. And I look at the foot of the bed and there's this guy standing at the foot of my bed. This drunk guy's just staggering around. And we're in Vegas. I don't know what's going to happen. So I get up and I do what men do. I pursue. See, we're going to talk about conflict today. And I had a conflict at the foot of my bed. So I get up not thinking and I take off. He sees me rumbling out of the bed. He takes off and he's running. Here's what had happened. We had an adjoining room and apparently it wasn't locked. And he had had a really good time in Vegas and thought he had opened a closet, I guess, and opened up to Narnia, this whole new space. And as he just decides he's going to go explore and see what's in the room. And so I'm chasing him out of the room, just instinctively going after him. There's a conflict. I'm going to resolve it. He's trying to shut the door. I'm bashing the door like this, not thinking. And he's sitting there going, just go back to bed. Just go back to bed. I'm like, why are you trying to come in my room? And my wife again goes, Matt. And you ever notice when you're in the middle of doing something your wife sends you to do, she still bothers you? And I'm, at this point, I'm like, what? And she's like, you're naked. And then he stops and I stop and both of us process this at the same time. And she throws me a pillow. And my brain is still not functioning. I'm like, does she think I'm gonna hit him with the pillow? And I realize, oh, I'm supposed to cover up with a pillow because you know, I'm not used to living in sin. And so he's, the door gets shut. We agree to go back to our separate spaces and leave each other alone. Next morning, I go to his room. He's gone. And I, if anybody ever meets this guy, I would pay 50 bucks to hear his side of this story. <laughs> I guarantee it's better. But we face conflict, right? So anyways, that, your preacher finds out about that story, and he's like, you sleep naked? Like, yeah. 
Yes, I do. That's why I have seven kids. Anyways, <clears throat> as God intended. But as we move through, there are conflicts in our lives, and there's an uncommon way that we need to learn to face conflicts, to resolve conflicts, because the common way is wrong. The common way, I mean, we have books on conflict resolution. We have podcasts on conflict resolution. We've got everything in the world about how to handle conflicts, and we're not getting any better at doing it. All we're getting better at is stating our opinions and calling them facts. We state our offenses and hold everybody accountable to our convenience comforts, and we get offended by everybody else's preferences. And so when we live in a constant state of conflict or a constant state of offense, we have chaos. Anybody, I mean, I'm on the West Coast right now. Y'all have to realize, like, people get offended over a lot. That doesn't happen here. Well, God bless y'all. But people get offended over everything. We get offended over, we get offended over the music that people listen to. We get offended over, we get offended over how people drive. We get off, if you're sitting on a plane, you ever fly a plane, you ever fly Southwest? You don't get to pick your seat until, unless you just get there. And you get there, have you ever had that moment where it's like, oh, there's this empty seat beside me? And you're just thinking, God, please? Please, like, can we just have this space right here? Like, if, if this could not be a full flight and no one... Well, I'm sitting on Southwest and people are coming on the plane. I ain't gonna lie, I'm sitting there like, I'm coughing, hacking, sneezing, scratching. <laughs> you don't... Act like I'm picking lice out of my beard. You know what I mean? I was, you don't want to sit by me, you know? But then you can tell, like, you know the moment that person boards the plane. That's the one. <laughs> They're coming right here. You know what I mean? Like, it, you can smell them. They're, they're, they've already kicked their shoes off before they even get there, like, ready to wiggle the toes and stuff. And you're like, they can't help it. Well, they can, but you can't help it. And you're sitting here, and, and we get offended. We get, we get offended because this is invading my space. It's invading my comfort. And one of the things I've found is a lot of times what we're offended over, if we would spiritually open our eyes, could be an opportunity. Like maybe this thing, this person that's offending me, instead of me being so offended that I'm repulsed or pushing away from them, maybe I could start sharing the gospel or getting to know this person. I may wind up with one of the best friends or spiritual assistants I've ever had, or I may be able to share Jesus with somebody that deeply needs him right now. You know what I mean? And so what if we could change when we look at conflict instead of starting with our offense, if we could start looking at it from the guise of there is a, there is a cure from hell and there is a salvation message and we are the ambassadors of it. And all these people were offended by, instead of seeing them as our offense or as our opposition or our enemies, if we saw them as captives that needed to be set free and that we had the tools to set them free. Maybe if our conflict resolution was more to the longs of salvation instead of resolution for us, maybe we could change some things, right? All right, so let's dig into this. So if there was a book I could recommend, I would recommend this one. It's, 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 it's widely available. You can get it anywhere. It's called The Bible. You can get it on your phone, and we're going to go to it. There, it's a book with books in it, and they've got awesome messages that deal with all types of personal struggles, problems, crisis, intervention, and conflict resolution. It's the best out there, okay? Jordan Peterson can't touch this. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, there's this guy, this guru, his name's Paul, and he's pretty awesome. 
Okay, we're going to look at what he says. So he just wrote in the, the chapter right before this uh, to the church, and he's telling them, like, look, you got to clean up what's inside the church, but you need to stop worrying about condemning the world. Like, stop judging the world right now and start cleaning up what's inside the church, because in the church, we get jacked up and we got some problems. Jesus in Matthew kind of put it like this. We hear people quote all the time, judge not lest you be judged in the same way you judge, you'll be judged. We love to quote those things, but we miss Jesus in that is stating this. There's, if you've got a person who's got a splinter in their eye and you've got a log in your own eye, first remove the log from your eye so you can see clearly to help them remove the splinter from their eye. Couple takeaways from this to, to build up to what Paul's saying here. First is this, what is a splinter and a log both made of? wood. The picture here is we both have the same sin. And if I'm looking around at other people's sin, getting offended, trying to fix everybody else's stuff, but I got a log hanging out of my face, I'm going to hurt them and me. And he's not saying, therefore, just everybody leave everybody to their own sin. He's saying, take care of what's in your life, get it resolved so that through your testimony, you can assist to help somebody else with theirs. See what I'm saying? It doesn't mean just preach at people their flaws. Once I've allowed Christ to clean my life out and I've put the work in, now I'm equipped to disciple and walk alongside somebody else as they're getting out. It's not just walking through with some, some tweezers and plucking splinters out of people's eyes. It's going with them into their pain, sharing with them as Christ has helped us and pulling them through. Are you with me on that? Now check this out. So Paul has just told the church, quit trying to preach at the world and condemn the world because they're not in the church. Fix what's in the church. And now he's in chapter six and he says this. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Just let that hit for a second. If you have an offense with somebody in the church, in the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, y'all know that when the Bible says you, it's a plural term, you together make up the temple where the Holy Spirit dwells. So collectively, we are the temple, the body of Christ. And if we have a problem inside the temple that could cause discomfort for the Holy Spirit, we need to fix that. But would we take that problem to the world that's not part of the church? Surely we have people in our midst, our elders, pastors, leaders, co-workers in Christ, people who are discipling with us, growing with us, who are not just our allies in our offense, but are people who are spiritually minded for the kingdom that can help us resolve conflicts. So look at what he's saying here. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of the Lord's people? What this is saying is like, if you got a family issue, don't take it out to the neighbors, fix it in the house. If you and your wife are having a problem, then you bring it together and you start healing each other. Don't go tell the girls about how he's jacked up. Don't go tell the guys about how she's a nagger. Nagger. Y'all don't use that word here, do you? It's a person that nags all the time. We'll move on. I'm going to teach y'all English as we go, okay? Because y'all speak Northern. But actually, y'all don't. Y'all don't have an accent at all. Y'all sound like newscasters. I go get gas here and feel like I should be getting a weather report. But don't you know? So don't go to social media. Don't vent your problems to social media. Don't vent your problems to other people. Twitter's not your friend. Facebook posts have never saved anybody's life. They've never changed the world. Instagram is not accurate. Take it to the body of believers. Why? 
Because the reputation of the church must be preserved at all costs, right? Because the lost need the church. And if the church is ugly, they're not going to want to go to it. Or don't you know that the Lord's people will judge the world? We don't need the world judging the church. They're already trying that. We don't need to give them stuff to do. The devil wants people to stay away from the church. So when we give them opportunity, we give him stuff that he can scare them away with it or make them feel like they're superior to us in righteousness, they're never gonna come to us to be able to change. And so he says, don't you know that the Lord's people will judge the world? Not meaning you are so righteous that all of us Christians are gonna stand up and condemn the world because in the chapter before he said not to judge them. He says, and if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more of the things of this life? So if in chapter five, he says not to judge the world, but then he says we will judge the world and we will judge angels, how does this come together? You will not stand and say, I choose in the world who's righteous and who's not and who goes to heaven and hell. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this is in the same way that Jesus said, the people of Sodom will stand up at the judgment and condemn the people of Israel because they never had Jesus. And they were destroyed without seeing Jesus. He's saying it like this. Your testimony as the children of God at the day of judgment for the angels that will be banished and for those that will be rejected, your testimony of God's love and redemption and hope will stand trial when the world is judged as a metric of not how perfect you were, but of how God's grace could forgive even the worst of us that could be with him. Are you with me so far? And so he's saying, what he's saying here is not be so self-righteous that you get to judge people. What he's saying is it's the picture of the redemption of the church that will be preached at the day of judgment. And the church must be a picture of redemption for all people, of love, of grace, of repentance and healing. And if the world doesn't get that picture that's in need of redemption and grace and love and healing and repentance, why will they ever repent? If the world is given the authority to condemn the church by the church, why would they ever submit to the church? Are you with me so far? Check this out. Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. It's 2023. We're not supposed to shame people. But in the Bible, they lived in an honor-shame system, not a right-wrong system. In the honor-shame system, it was like, this is shameful. And when something was shameful, we were ashamed to do it. He says, I say this to shame you. Why? You are the bride of Christ and you're attacking the bride of Christ. You should be ashamed of that. Are you with me so far? Let me put it like this. Is it possible that there's nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers, but instead one takes one brother takes another to court and this in front of unbelievers He's saying, is there nobody in the whole body of Christ that's capable of sitting here and looking at a dispute, an offense, a hurt, a pain, and being able to sit two people down and be able to put the goal of Christ as the priority to come back and remind people of why we need each other, that our offenses are not that big. See, if if I'm in a dispute with my wife and me and my wife are fighting with each other, And we don't have somebody responsible enough to sit down and tell us, you have kids watching you. And what you're doing is affecting your kids. Put the petty stuff to the side. Get over some things. Work some things out. Or you're messing your kids up. See what I'm saying? 
And what he's saying is there's nobody in the church that's able to sit here and say, stop this, the world is watching us. But see, here's where our problem comes in. We think the church is ours. I want music I like. If I don't like that song, I'm offended. No one called me and checked on me. My coffee wasn't hot enough. They didn't have sugar-free caramel macchiatos. The air conditioning was too cold. It's too hot. We go to church like we're God and it's about us. I don't like the preacher. He's got that thing hanging from his face. I couldn't pay attention. I can't understand half the stuff comes out of his mouth. We're here to worship God and reach the lost, not to be served and worshiped. We're here to serve. Jesus washed feet. Jesus served the last supper. Jesus didn't show up and say, where's my coffee, boo-boo? You see what I'm saying? He set that example telling us do the same. It's not holy to wash people's feet. You're not going to have a foot washing service and be closer to Jesus. What he was doing was the lowly position of denying himself to show love to others. See what I'm saying? And when we get to the church, we get to the point in the church where it's like, I'm so church hurt. I've got an offense. Someone didn't call me. I posted it on Facebook. I was sick. They should have all known. You're not a celebrity. Ain't everybody following you on Facebook. If you don't tell somebody you're sick, they may not know you're sick. Surprise. You with me right now? I'm not your preacher. I'm here as a speaker. I'm here as a personal person of Christ. We all struggle with this, right? We all get hurt. We all get offended. But why? It's our pride. I wasn't prioritized. Someone didn't think enough about me. Someone didn't compliment me. I didn't like the way that someone addressed a sin that I'm dealing with. So I'm offended and I'm hurt. And guess what we do? We go share that. And where do we share it? Publicly to the world. We go on social media and we're like, oh, the church hurt me. I'm so church hurt. I'm so offended. So I want everybody to see my offense. And guess what happens? You get a crowd of people that have been church hurt and it's no longer about you anymore. Now the whole world's just bashing, not just your church, just those people, just the people you're affected by. They're bashing the whole church and it's not your church. It's the bride of Jesus Christ. That's his wife. And you're insulting her and encouraging and inviting people to call her ugly and point out her flaws and tell how stupid she is and tell how bad she is. Men, is there any men in this room okay with somebody going and calling out your wife's flaws? What if your wife was sitting there and she puts an Instagram picture up and she feels good about herself and somebody goes, you know that's not her real eye color. That's not her hair. That's a weave. I learned the other night, y'all don't know what weaves are, hair extensions. <laughs> Imagine if she was feeling good and she was feeling excited and somebody starts tearing it down. Ladies, can I ask you something? Have you ever had a sweatpants day? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all have had some, come on, don't lie. And you're wearing his sweatpants at it. You know what I mean? It ain't cross-dressing, it's just comfortable. You wear his sweatpants, his old t-shirt and stuff. Your hair is kind of floating over here. Nails chipped off and stuff. Eyelashes, some of them's on, some of them's off. You walking around like the living dead. You deserve it. You've had a long week, right? You, you just want to sit around and eat some yo play and just have that day, right? Now, how would you feel if your kids went and took pictures of you like that and started posting those online? You'd go tear some tails up, wouldn't you? Right? 
It would break your heart because that's not a fair representation of you. That's a snapshot of an off day. That's a picture of a moment where you're exhausted, you're tired, you're wore out. You're beautiful. You take care of yourself. You take care of your family. You work so hard, but someone takes that one moment and they splash it out there and the world laughs and mocks. You know what would have been better? If somebody saw you having that tired, bad day and they thought about all you did and they came up and they were like, you know what? We're going to do a spa day. I'm going to take her to go get her nails done. I'm going to take her and and we're just going to go get some coffee and we're going to sit down and we're going to build her up and I'm going to remind her of why she does all the stuff she does and I'm going to encourage her. Which would you rather have? Someone post your worst day picture or someone that takes you on your worst day and builds you back up? Now think about this. This is Christ's bride that he died for, that he loves, that he pursued, that he chased, that he wanted to restore her to himself and she matters to him more than anything. How do you think he feels when he sees his children mocking his bride? So that the world that needs the church, when the world is hurting, when the world is broken, when the world is lost, when the world is desperate, they can look to the church and they can see the beauty of the bride and they can say, I want that. But the world is, instead of being able to see that, they're seeing all the worst and it's glamorized as how horrible she is and how untogether she's just falling apart. And they look at it and say, well, I need something, but not that. You know what I'm saying? Guys. Remember when you were passionate, you were pursuing her, you were looking good. When you hit the gym, you had a full head of hair, you had abs, you know what I'm talking about? Chiseled jawline, now you got two jaws, you got a chin that comes out of here, a goblet that jiggles around, you got a belly that flaps down, your hair, it's all kind of growing in patches now, some of it's gone, some of you got the bird's nest, whatever. If you're hitting that midlife crisis to where you're forgetting your flaws and you're looking at her flaws, you're a hypocrite. Because she's embracing you for your flaws, you need to be thankful and embrace her for her bad days. Every one of us were sinners that the church embraced and were forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ and it overlooked all our flaws. And we need to be thankful every day. Yes, some days the church is gonna have problems, but we have them every day and we're still welcomed into the assembly. You with me right now? All right. Good. Here we go. You all right? You didn't clap. That's okay. I want, I, want, I want to warn you guys of a couple of things. Man, I'm from the South, and so we found as a church that we've, we've got some ways to... Here's a couple of things I want you to not do, okay? So, like, in the South, we found a way to gossip and be righteous about it. I don't know if y'all do that here. In the South, on the East Coast, we'll be like, all right, so I need everybody to pray for Brother Jim. I don't want to gossip. I don't want to get anything, so I'm just going to give y'all a prayer request. He's been struggling with, let's say, temptation. (laughs) You know, it's just between him and the Lord, but this Friday night, I saw him, and he was out at the mall with somebody else that wasn't his wife, and they were drinking wine. And he had them wandering eyes. And you know, Susie, I want to pray for her too because you know she's struggling over this. And I think that she's been watching them soap operas and they're just getting caught up in sin. And I just, I don't want to put them out there for anybody. I want to keep this just between us. But in the name of Jesus, could we just keep them in prayer right now? And you know, you know, I saw y'all got the weed shops and stuff here where like marijuana, I guess, is legal. And you know, she's been struggling with them headaches. And I think she's fixing to start smoking that devil's cabbage. In the South, we found a way to seem righteous while telling people to stop that. 
Don't build allies against people. Be allies for people. Amen? Now check this out. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather, this is the part right here that's heavy, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Now, your church, this church is an amazing church. It's an amazing example. You guys, the reason I want to share this with you guys today is because when a church is as awesome as your church and doing as good as your church is doing, there is no force outside that can destroy you. And the devil knows that. If God is for you, no force can be against you, okay? COVID didn't stop you. Politics can't stop you. The, the things of society can't shut you down. There's no power out there that can stop Valley Real Life. It just can't happen. So the devil's smart, and here's this obstacle he's always gonna send towards the church. With Jesus, he sent Judas. With Peter, man, with Peter, Peter was, a per, he was persecuted, beaten, and betrayed. When you look at Paul, Paul had his brothers, he's sitting there, he starts writing, he's like, everybody's left me. He tells Timothy, everybody's left me. I'm all alone. Nobody's with me. What happens is the people that are inside the church sometimes get to a point where we start coming against each other. This isn't so much about people suing each other, but it's to a place where petty problems get in between us, where they become more important than the reputation of the church and the soul of our brother. And I wish with everything in me that every conflict could be resolved because two people prioritize the gospel, the call of Christ, and the church more than themselves. And we could look at that and we could just cease to fight each other and we could say, for the good of God, I'd rather be done wrong and heal this. But it will not always happen that way. But what he's saying to those in here today, when these days come, when these obstacles come, when this opposition comes, what he's saying is, wouldn't you rather be wrong than go public with your own defense in this thing? See, here's the thing. There are going to be people, they're going to go out and they're going to assassinate your character. They're going to post things. They're going to say things and they're going to try and draw people into groups that will agree with them so that they have a force to oppose you with. And everything in you is going to feel like, where's my defense? I need to post something. I need to say something. I need to get back out there and take care of my reputation, right? When Jesus stood trial though, and he's got the religious leaders lying on him and condemning him, it says he was silent and he did not open his mouth. He let God speak for him. He let his actions speak for him. And the world was changed, not because Jesus won an argument or Jesus defended himself with words, but Jesus defended himself with action by doing what was right. And I promise you, your words of defense for yourself will always get lost in the narrative of the world. They will never care about the truth. They care about the juice. But if you will continue to buckle down and follow the mission of Christ and do what's right and pick up your cross every day and follow Jesus Christ, the world will see your character, your conduct, and your fruit. And that will vindicate you. God himself will vindicate you. And if that's not enough for you in this life, the Bible says that we will stand before God in front of all that have ever lived and he will say in front of everybody, well done, my good and faithful servant. And there's no accolade you can ever get better than the creator of the earth speaking in front of your grandma, your granddad, your enemies, your math teacher, everybody and saying, that one's with me. Yeah. You with me right now? <clears throat> Whoo, Y'all gotta wake up, man. In the South, we get a little hyper. 
This next piece right here, I don't know where I am on time, but I got to get you through this part because in the South, this part is kind of preached as an amen condemning sinners passage. It's not what it is. I want you to see it's a warning. Here's why we got to get cleaned up in the church. Here's why we got to keep our, this is why we got to resolve stuff inside and not put it out to the world. Here's why we got to, we got to cherish the church. Here's why we got to glorify the church because it's Christ's bride. A price was paid for her. It's a safe space for all of us. It's a place where the Holy Spirit can dwell amongst us. But check this out. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Is anybody in here Arrogant enough to call themselves a right doer. But in the South, I can preach this and people are like, amen, sinners. <laughs> Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, oh Lord, nor idolaters, pagans, nor adulterers, whoremongers, nor men who have sex with men, gay people. See where we get? There's a conflict. And in today's society, we start saying, wait a minute, I know somebody. I, I know somebody. And it starts getting heavy, right? And they love to amen this when it fits them. Then he says, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And I want you to get something. When I read this out, we get silent because we start thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I got a cousin. I love people. I'm close to someone here, and you just said, I didn't say that, the Bible said that. But see, our brain is we go into this fear of God's going to condemn all them, and it's our job as the church to shut the door because they're all going to hell, and we can't have anything to do with them. That's not what it's saying. That's not what it's saying. I want you to hear this. This is a warning. If the church is not the picture of redemption and salvation and a place of hope and a place of change, and we present our garbage to the world so that the world is not comfortable coming to it, if it's not a beacon of hope to the world, what hope is there for those who have been sexually immoral? If, if you condemn a Christian because the way they dress, what will you do to me because of what I've done? Or to the idolaters, oh, they're all worshiping the same God, they have the same Savior, they read the same book, and I've been an idol worshiper through my life in a pagan religion, and they can't get along with themselves. What will they say about me? Nor men who have sex with men. Oh, they're, that guy's having, he, him and his wife are having problems, and they're in a heterosexual relationship, and they're getting talked about, and I've been a homosexual my whole life, and I'm going to get bashed if I go there because they'll get me twice as hard as they get him. If the church is not seen as an institution where repentance can bring about healing and salvation and people can be restored to Christ, if the world cannot see that bright light, that city on a hill that is shining and showing redemption, what hope is there for them when they find the conviction that they need to change? This is not a condemnation passage. This is a warning rebuke to the church of saying, you are the hope for these people. That's why this next piece says, and that's what some of you were. Don't forget it. You were sinners too. But why are you no longer these things? Because there was a church. Someone inside the bride of Christ looked at you in spite of all your bad days, instead of all your problems, and they said, you're worth it. Somebody said, I'll forgive some offenses. 
Somebody said, I'll overlook some things that I'm uncomfortable with to get in the mud with you to walk you to Jesus so that you can change. That's what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. That's what we're after, right? Justification. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Man. I think I'm out of time. But I'm going to tell you why this is so important. <clears throat> we get that God so loved us that he sent his only son to die for us, right? So that we could be saved. You know what we struggle with? God so loved the sinner outside the church that he sent his only son to die for that person. And that person has to see the love of Christ in the church to understand the love of Christ in their life. Here's one that I think is a new one for the church to get. God so loved your fellow Christians in your church that he sent his only son to die for them. And once we get that Jesus loved us enough to embrace suffering, scorning, rejection, shame, and abuse, endure all of that just so that we sinners who have scorned him, rejected him, and abused him can be washed, sanctified, and justified in him. Once we see how much each person matters to Jesus, we stop caring so much about our own justification. And the cross we carry is the one where it's like, it's not about me, it's about him. You know, the greatest words that I've read in the Bible that weren't from Jesus come from a man named John that was his cousin. And when people started following Jesus more than John, they came to John and they said, everyone's going to him. What do we do? And he said, in order for him to increase, I must decrease. You're an amazing church and the devil's going to set his sights on you. And this community needs you. Forget that. America needs you. Churches like our church need you. Countries that you're going to need you. They need to see what God is doing here. And you are the people responsible to protect it, to protect the reputation, to protect the beauty of what God's doing because the devil will try and tear down all the good you've done with one person taking all your dark pajama-wearing days and throwing them out there. Beautify the church by being the church. How do we get that joy right there? Same way, man. Guys, when y'all first started dating... You pursued her and the passion was there. When you first came to Christ, you were in love because you were freshly forgiven and you got that. And how do we keep that passion in the church? We keep pursuing the lost and reaching them to remember the price paid for this church to exist. Amen? Y'all stand up with me. We're going to pray. I want to pray a blessing for your church and then we're going to worship, okay? Father God, I pray in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. God, I pray for this amazing congregation of people. God, there's believers, your children, your bride, Father, and I pray for them for their protection. God, I thank you for them for what they've done as beacons of light and hope. But God, I pray as they continue to go, they're gonna take more territory. And as they glorify you and as they represent you, God, allow them to have strength to always treat your, your bride and your body as precious. Guard them, protect them, and guide them, and bless them, Father. Allow every believer here to find that they belong 
and that they are a part of something amazing, Father. Fill this church with your glory. Fill these people with your presence. And God, let your name be glorified until you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.